Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring. And a couple of announcements I wanted to make before we get started on our topic. One is this is episode 175. And with this episode, Tina and I have decided that we're going to take a bit of a hiatus for the summer. So you'll hear this during the summer, and you'll also get some highlights, some of our best of your family dog. But we're going to take that time to regroup and rethink and get some new ideas for where we want to go and get some guest books. So I just wanted to give you the heads up that we're going to take a little bit of a break, but we will be back in the fall. So with that, I also wanted to say thank you to Tina It's been a real joy, and it's nothing to do with Tina or anything else why I suggested we take a hiatus. It's just that for me, I've been doing this for six years and decided that I needed to refresh. So it's been a great run, and Tina's been a a great asset, and so we will see you all back in the fall. Okay, that said, what are we going to talk about today? Well, Tina and I were talking about the idea of behavior versus training. And how are those different? And how do they intersect? And where do they intersect? So with that, I'd like to start with Tina talking about the difference between behavior and training. So thanks. And we're going to miss you guys over the summer, but we've got some really great highlights and really great episodes to bring back. So if you have only joined us recently, we're going to dust off some stuff from Colleen and you're going to get really great information. You're just going to get it revisited. So that's always, I think review is always good. So often when I'm talking to families, they're focusing on a training issue and they've done all the right things, right? They've, they've done the exercises, they've done the work, and yet we're still not being successful. And so sometimes that means we're banging up against what's called a behavior problem. So let me um, first kind of give a generic example, and then I'll give a more specific example that tends to help families sort it out. So loosely, I consider training, like obedience training, like schoolwork, book work. Sit down, stand, stay, politely schwalking, coming when called leave it. Like there's a whole laundry list of obedience training exercises that we teach our dogs. And those are super important. Then there's behavior. So if we think of obedience or training as book learning, reading, writing, grammar, arithmetic, spelling, all of that, then on the behavior side is how to navigate the world. So that's how to decide where to sit at the lunchroom or what to do if you really, really need to use the restroom, but the teacher is busy in their books and not noticing your hand up or the child next to you is bullying you to get your lunch money. Like, what are you, how are you supposed to navigate that? So the example I typically use that kind of brings it home for people is like, if we're all sitting at dinner table and you say, Tina, pass the potatoes. And I say, the curtains are on fire. And you give me a confused look and go, no, 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 you must've misunderstood. 
and you look at the potatoes and you go, Tina, could you please pass the potatoes? You're being helpful. And I say, the curtains are on fire. And you go, no, 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 sit, look at me, pass the potatoes, pointing at the potatoes. We are at an impasse. My question is, are the curtains on fire? It doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) It really doesn't matter because for me, the curtains are on fire, right? So it doesn't matter if somebody roofied my coffee. And for me, I'm hallucinating that the curtains are on fire. For me, there is something going on in the environment that is taking up my bandwidth and I'm not being disrespectful and being dominant over the potatoes. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm I'm thinking you're trying to dominate the potatoes. I long thought you were well, potato dominator, I mean, but do you need all that starch? But that's a separate conversation. So often, as our dog starts to um, struggle with something going on, could be internal or external, right? No, I can't come when called. There's a bunny, or No, I can't come when called. I can't hear you because I'm a terrier and my eyes are engaged with a bunny, right? There's a whole bunch of reasons, or maybe my foot hurts, or maybe I'm losing my hearing, or maybe you're standing in a doorway and there's light behind you and I can't tell who it is. It looks like a giant dragon to me. Like, As our dogs start to struggle behaviorally, my experience is the human response is to sadly move to the dogs being disrespectful. And I need to give them more orders, more firmly, more loudly and bigger so that they comply. Right. Or the other thing that I think that people default to, if it's not being the dog is being disrespectful or the dog is trying to dominate me, it's the dog is really stubborn. Oh, yeah. The stubborn word. And what I have found is I try to tell people, you know, oftentimes it could be that we don't know what it is that's causing this sort of paralysis in your dog. Um, If they're not willing to move, if they can't take a treat, if they're not going to look at you when they normally do, then this is not the time to say, I think we've suddenly discovered our inner stubbornness. This is the time to say, hey, what's going on in the environment that is challenging my dog so that he can't do what I know he's capable of doing. Well, right. And to be fair, in my example, neither of us are getting our needs met. You're not getting your potatoes and I'm not having an emergency dealt with and I'm not being supported through that. So I don't, if I shut down, if I'm nervous, if I'm freaked out, if I'm confused, I don't want the person that I'm interacting with to assume I'm just being a jerk and stubborn or disrespectful, I want them to recognize that there's some sort of crisis and that I need their support to give them what they need. My experience is typically our dogs desperately want to do what we're asking of them. There's sometimes just a barrier to that. So when you're working with a trainer and the trainer starts adding more and more pressure to the mix, there is very likely a behavior problem that's interfering. If we're escalating our response, Suzanne Clothier had, she said this in front of me at a seminar. It was fantastic. She said, when we start adding equipment, we've lost the dog's mind. 
And I think that that is very, very true. I think that is really true. I think that is very true. And that's why I always ask people to, it's most of the time, we're not talking about a life or death situation with our dog. So what we need to do is stop and take a step back and go, hey, what's going on? You know, why are you anxious? Why are you not moving? Why are you, you know, maybe you're frozen. Maybe you're growling. And this is just not typical behavior of your dog. Snapping the leash or, you know, whatever is just not going to solve the problem. So I think you're absolutely right. When we add equipment, we've lost the dog because the dog, well, because one, not only have we lost it, I think the dog's already lost. I think at that point we've already lost the dog. So I would, I would say yes. And often, and I don't know, again, I think it's just part of being human. We like to add more pressure. We aren't really good at knowing when to take pressure off. And that is really where the magic is, right? Yes, I would agree. To look at my learner, whether it's a human or a dog or a horse or a cat or a chicken and go, how do I make it easier for this learner to go where I want them to go, to do what I want them to do so that I can have a party for them. I had a really hard case this morning. It is a seven-year-old German Shepherd. She has been highly anxious her whole life. Poor thing. Well, it would have been a lot easier to help her when she was 12 weeks old and hadn't practiced this whole set of behaviors for eight years. Right now, are we going to help? Can we change things? Can we improve it? You bet. But are we going to get the same traction that we would have gotten way back when? No. And that's why I tell owners that I have a, in fact, we'll post it up here, a list from the uh, OSU behavior department about warning signs in puppies. So one of the things to take a look at, if you're concerned that your puppy's not progressing the way you think he ought to, or there's some concern here about the kind of anxious in a situation, Take a look at this list of warning signs, because the earlier we can address this behavior, the more successful our results are likely to be. So let's talk about a situation that some families are facing right now and kind of how to navigate it in a way that might potentially have some negative fallout versus a way that might be a better fit. So I got an email yesterday from a family that has a 14-week-old puppy. They've had this breed of dog and this kind of dog for a long time. This puppy is completely on track and doing great. No major sensitivities, no major problems. Everything's going lovely, right? They have had a trip postponed for multiple years because of the COVID and they are now getting to take their trip. Well, they're going to have like a 20 week old puppy when that trip happens. That's kind of an important developmental time. Many sensitive puppies are going through a fright stage. Likewise, they're becoming adolescents, and that's always fun. I'm actually one of those weirdos that likes adolescence, but that's a story for another day. Not everyone's brain enjoys adolescent behavior. And so this family is is concerned. Typically, their pet sitter would come and stay with their dog, and they wouldn't give it another thought but they don't want to lose ground. The pet sitter works a regular job during the day and they've put a bunch of time and energy and momentum into this puppy and they don't want it to go to waste or to be negatively impacted. And so she contacted me about a board and train. Now, Julie has said none of the board and trains in her area, to her knowledge, are positive reinforcement based. I'm going to say up front, we are a positive reinforcement based board and train program. There is no shock. There is no prong. There's none of that silliness. 
that we don't need it. And so this family approached us about a born train and she was a little worried, like, will it be okay when he's so young? And I said, absolutely. We will adjust the program moment to moment, day to day to the puppy that's in front of us. And we're going to notify them. So my staffer who helps with board and trains, who does a phenomenal job, is a doodle breeder. There's always hot and cold running doodles everywhere. So if all of a sudden this little puppy decides that curly-coated dogs are terrifying dragons, well, we're not just going to, like, throw them in a playgroup with a whole bunch of doodles. Like, that's not a good idea. We will adjust what we need to do, and we'll... Send mom a text that says, hey, Leo decided today that curly coats are scary or chickens are scary or horses are scary. And this is what we're doing to help him with that. So, um, Julie, you know, with even your dogs, like Zuzu gets randomly afraid of. Oh, yes. Whatever. Like, it's it's not predictable. It, it's not. Zuzu's like, oh, my goodness. It's, I don't know, a leaf from an oak tree. You know, which I've seen a thousand times, but it's this one's landed on my head. So I have a, a little chihuahua that's boarding with me for the week. One of my good friends left her in my care, which I appreciate. And she's like six pounds of dragon. I absolutely love her. She's fantastic. But taking her for a walk is hysterical because she's just the edge of anxious. So she's walking along. And if a weed is too tall. If a stick moves, she jumps like three feet in the air and, and I'm just standing there on the end of the leash going, little jumpy today. We like, we got a moment going on. Well, and chihuahuas have legs that are like little springs anyway. So, you know, they're kind of, it's kind of like one of those little spring toys. It just, you pop it and it goes, woo! Well, and it's funny because I'm like, oh, politely walking with a tiny dog is so hard. It's so hard on my back. So, Yes. I probably need to get the clicker out, but that's a story for another day. So, for example, this little 14-week-old puppy, it sounds like, will come into our care. We will basically be doing a puppy raising program as if we are optimizing him for our home. Even though we have an agenda and a list of what we're going to try to get done, as based on what the owner's requesting, the handler, we are going to very closely monitor where that puppy is developmentally on that day, in that moment. So if we have a puppy who all of a sudden has a sensitivity about something, we're going to throw a flag on the play. We're going to let that family know, and then we're going to deal with what's in front of us. I'm not going to guarantee behavior because I can't. No, you can't. You cannot guarantee behavior. And anybody who tells you that they can I usually tell people you need to run in the other direction as fast as you can, because if they're going to guarantee behavior, what they're basically guaranteeing is no behavior. They're guaranteed they're going to get your dog to shut down and they're going to use force based methods is what my experience has been. I was also going to tell you one of the things that, that I, I think I might have told this story before, but when my first flat coat Bingley, he was about, I don't know, six, nine months old and we were out for a walk. And we walked by, our neighbor has a cement pig in his front yard. And Zuzu has walked by the cement pig, you know, a dozen or more times, right? On that day, as we approached the cement pig, he went, oh, 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 oh. I'm like, what do you see? And he's like, oh, it's a cement pig. You know, they're very dangerous, mom. Very, very dangerous. So we stopped and he looked at the cement pig and he looked back at me and I gave him a treat. 
He leaned towards the cement pig, came back, I gave him a treat. Then he kind of took a step and I gave him a treat. So I rewarded him for every step, every move that he made to get close to the cement pig. I didn't force him. I just stopped and let him proceed with figuring out what this thing was on his own until eventually I could put treats on the top of the cement pig and he would eat them. And we walked away. This whole process probably took me longer to explain was maybe 10 minutes maximum, 10, 15 minutes. And from that day forward, the cement pig was not an issue. But if I hadn't allowed him to stop and to take a breath and to explore it at his pace and not mine, I don't know if we wouldn't be afraid of all kinds of garden sculptures after that, right? And as I said, I just don't really want a dog who's neurotic about, you know, sculptures because then I can't take him for a walk in the cemetery. Well, I mean, face it, the little gnomes. Oh, yeah, those are. They're scary dudes. They are. But if you are allowed to snip at them and did a piece of liver, then they're actually pretty cool. Well, so this is a really interesting thing because I see and I I will admit freely that I have struggled with this too. We tend to be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Like today we're going on a socialization walk. Today we're doing this. Today we're doing that. And then the dog is weird, right? Okay. We'll just chalk it up to weird. So suddenly the dog decides like, I'm afraid of flags today. It, you know, it's Thursday. It's the day to be afraid of flags. It is fascinating to me how people either decide we will never go on a walk near flags ever again, or we are going to flood the dog with flags. When I'm like, all you have to do is when your dog stops and goes, for goodness sakes, there's a flag, you go, yep, it's interesting, isn't it? And just give them time. You don't force them and you we don't run away. We just, if it's a safe thing to do, you hold position and you go, Wow, that is that is a flappy flag. Like that is really interesting. The same as the dandelion that tried to kill Varney today on her walk, right? She could have been murdered by an eight inch tall dandelion. <laughs> and I was like, that was that was terrifying, wasn't it? It's like a tiny little yellow mace, right, to kill Chihuahuas. Uh, well, the other thing I was going to say too is I, I'm glad you mentioned about stopping because one of the things I think that's really important is to to pay attention to what your dog is telling you so that when we start to slow down and we stop, you stop. Don't try and get closer. I think it's really important to allow the dog to be able to observe whatever it is that terrifying, you know, the killer dandelion or, you know, the the death-seeking cement pig at a distance at which their force field will work. And so as long as their force field is up and they can like watch the killer flag or the, you know, the death heat seeking death missile pig or the, you know, terrifying dandelion. Or the inflatable. Inflatables are the worst. So one of the things I would say is a lot of times I think we want to do something. And sometimes I think the, the best answer is just hold and wait and be in the moment with your dog and go that that is a lot isn't it um people laugh listening to the instructors especially my instructor class when 
when we're all in class working our dogs together, we sound like lunatics, absolutely unhinged. Because there is a lot of us, one of us to our dog who's losing it about something going, that is a lot, isn't it? Right? Like we don't get all amped up. For the most case, dog trainers have dogs that are kind of wacky and have sensitivities. And so we are working through things, learning how to work through things to help you with your dog. So we're not embarrassed by it. I mean, sometimes the behaviors are embarrassing, but my dog is going to struggle and so is yours. And that's okay. Right. Right. It's totally okay. So I'm always a little suspect about the person who claims to be a dog trainer who has a completely normal, stable dog. I'm like, hmm, what's that about? They don't have a dog who's, I don't know, Clementine. Clemmy's fascinating. Yeah, she is. That's a really nice word to put it. She's funny. She is funny. Well, the other thing is that one thing I did want to say is two things I think are real important for people to understand when they're doing this, because I've seen this happen successfully and unsuccessfully with clients who had very similar dogs who were very dog reactive on walks. One client, I said, this is not the time to be on your phone. If your dog is reactive to things, to other dogs and people, you need to be focused. You need to be paying attention to your dog's body language and paying attention to your dog and not be on your phone. Or go or go walk somewhere where there aren't dogs. Like if you want to be on your phone, okay, then walk in your own backyard and practice there where they're not going to run into other dogs. Right. But I was going to say is that if you do want to walk in the neighborhood and you want to try and help your dog, it's always better, I think, to be paying attention to the dog as opposed to the podcast. If our podcast. Of course, you can listen to our podcast anytime and that would be great. Yes. But the other thing is if you want to add something in, what I usually do is I add in a, a tasty little something. So I'm staring at the very scary flag or the, the pig and I look back at mom and I sigh. <sighs> we get a treat for relaxing and for letting go and saying, yeah, you're fine. So what I feel like I'm doing is I'm saying, yeah, it's okay. I'm not going to force you in any of this, but I'm also going to reward you for the steps you take forward towards it. And I'm also going to reward you if I notice signs that you are relaxing, because I think it's important for our dogs to understand, oh, this isn't scary. Okay. Whew, I let some air out. Maybe I get a treat. So I think rewarding our dogs for letting go of some of their anxiety is not a bad thing to do. So I also, I mean, I do a ton of classical conditioning. So, oh, you looked at the flag cookie. 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 You looked at the flag. You looked at me cookie. Now we've moved to operant conditioning. So I do a lot of telling people, it's kind of like roller skating, like where's your weight? And the moment, and you'll float back and forth between the two. It's totally okay. Don't worry about it. When in, when in doubt, add a cookie, yes. right? Because- yes. If you accidentally teach your dog to bark at flags, we can fix that. Like that, I don't worry about that. We can fix that. What I want to do is change first how the dog feels and then what the dog does. Right. Absolutely. I want to change how the dog feels. That's why I'm adding in cookies like, okay, pig's not scary. Let out a sigh. I'm starting to let go of some of the stress. I'm going to reward you for that. Right. But some dogs have already like decided that's a dragon. And so I'm like, it's a dragon who makes chicken happen. Yeah. I mean, I would I would go after a chicken eating dragon. It just depends on, where, on how sensitive that dog is. So if you have either a very young dog or a very special dog or a very old dog, don't wait to have a plan 
for when you're going to go out of town. Like I literally, today is Thursday, the 26th. That's when we're recording. Yesterday, I got a call from someone who has a six-month-old Great Dane puppy who is right on the edge of house training and hasn't yet started crate training. And they wanted to know if I could take him for the weekend. My answer through muffled layers of laughter was no, no, right? Like, no, you, uh uh-uh, no, you don't get to destroy my weekend. (laughs) Like, you didn't forget that you had an enormous puppy in your house. So, like, there has to be some planning. Either make that puppy easy for me to take in and manage, house train him, crate train him, get him ready for that, or make arrangements with someone, you know, who just has, like, some big boarding kennel somewhere that, that's taken care of or plan to take the dog with you. But it's not a surprise that you have a dog and it's not a surprise that you're going to want to take a trip. Even if that trip was an emergency, you should still have a plan that you've been working toward. Right. The other thing is, I was going to say, is when you were talking about this, when we were living in Princeton, when Brad had a fellowship there, that was when Brad started his clumber lust. And uh, so we were, we were looking at clumbers and he was researching clumbers and somebody said, hey, I have a puppy that I'm going to have available about the second week in June. And that was when we were leaving Princeton to come back to Granville. But we passed on that puppy because we spent the month of July hiking in Scotland. And I said, I'm not having a puppy for four weeks and then leaving it for four weeks. So I have totally, we have totally taken a young puppy in and incorporated it and done training for a month because the breeder called and said, hey, somebody canceled. Do you want this puppy? You've been on a waiting list three years, right? Again, you can make things work, but there has to be a little bit of like, okay, what's the plan going to be if this happens? Right. I'm just saying that there are there are times where you might be able to take a step back and go, okay, as much as this puppy's really cute, we have another breeder who's going to have a puppy available end of October. Much better time for us to get a dog. Better fit. Though for some people that's like, okay, we're headed in, in your part of the world, you're headed into rain and sleet and snow and being outside and Christmas and the holidays and grandkids, right? Like there are other people that it's like, okay, that board and train would have been a better fit, keeping the puppy safe and healthy and doing the socialization and all of the things like everybody's got to, everybody's got a groove to their own groove. Right. But it, it requires a little bit of thinking and planning. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now I will tell you like a goober, I am taking in a 14 month old puppy tomorrow that is planned to live here. I need another dog. Like I need a hole in the head. This particular dog is pretty fantastic. We're going to see what happens. But even that before I pulled the trigger and said, yes, I will take this dog in. I had a conversation with someone else on the team and said, if this dog is not a good fit for my home, are you a backup plan? Because I owe my current dogs stability and peace. And so if adding this other dog makes it all go cattywampus in a way that's unfair to them, I will back away from this placement and we will have another plan actionable for that dog. Right. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, like I, I would very much like it to work, but I have a plan of what to do if we don't. I recently have a bunch of people who had a dog 
who was really struggling with high anxiety and resource guarding, and they added another dog who resource guards. And it's not working very well. No, it, it reminds me of what Milena said to us about separation anxiety, is that if you have a dog with separation anxiety, it's not going to help to add a second dog. That's not going to take care of the separation anxiety issue. In this particular case, if you have a dog who's resource guarding, adding another thing for it to resource guard again is not a great idea. And it can be particularly dangerous if you have small children in the house. Yes. And, and in this particular case, they have a four-year-old child. And I said, I, I don't negotiate on, on safety. No, I never do. The individual breed group of the dog they added, it's still a very young dog, easy to send back from whence it came, is a breed that is genetically designed to resource guard. So they added a livestock guardian dog to a pot cake. And and they they just didn't know. All of the livestock guardian dogs they've met are just big fluffy marshmallows living alone and not resource guarding. So... I understand, like, this family in particular had a big trauma. They lost a, a young dog. And so there, I think there was a little bit of, like, we have all this love and nowhere to put it. And so this is what we're going to do. And they're trying to do a good thing. But my counsel is this is not this is not a placement that I would try to work through. In my youth, I would have been drawing up protocols and having a grand old time being creative. Now that I'm older and I hope a little bit wiser. I'm like, okay, this isn't safe. And this puppy is going to grow into this behavior, which is going to make the whole system less stable and less safe. So we, we ought not. Right. We ought not. And the big fluffy guardian dogs tend to do much better as singletons anyway, because they are designed to be that way. They're designed to be independent minded single dogs who take care of a group of sheep or some goats, or whatever. They're not really designed to, to work in a pack. So for this sweet family, I, I totally get where they were coming from. They lost a relatively young adult dog, like eight years old, Aww. suddenly and dramatically. It was terrible. The dog got cancer and got terribly ill and died. That dog had been the stabilizing dog in their household, right? Right. A super easygoing male, affable dog who loved their pot cake and their pot cake was real, like would follow his lead. So she would defer to him when they lost him, things destabilized. And so they were like, oh, she needs another dog. So what their decision-making wasn't bad. No, it wasn't. They just didn't realize like, don't get a puppy. Like, because who knows what that's going to grow into. And so, for example, this dog that I am taking in tomorrow, while my heart is like, yes, 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 my brain was matriculating, who is this dog and how could he fit or not fit, right? When I met him last, a year ago, he was a very stable, very nice puppy, very level-headed, great at reading social cues, not reactive or fearful to anything, and so a dog that I would classify as stable. If he is still that dog, he is very likely going to become a stabilizing influence for my other dogs because my other dogs are special and some of them are quite worried. So for them, 
when they're losing their marbles going, you know, all is lost, go to DEFCON 1, they could turn and look to this dog who goes, yeah, that's a turtle. And they go, no, we're all going to die. And this dog could go, no, I'm I'm pretty sure that's a turtle. We like turtles. Turtles are kind of cool. And my dogs could chill out and go, well, we're so glad you were here. Let's take it back to DEFCON 4. Like, let's calm things down again. So if that dog can do that, then that dog is a blessing to my other dogs. But if this dog comes in and is like, we're all going to. No, no, no. You That doesn't bless anybody. No, and, it's, and it doesn't bless him any more than it blesses anybody else. And, and that's the thing that, that I try to emphasize with people is that there's a lot we can do to try and make new dogs work in the new home. But it will become apparent fairly quickly if it's not going to work. And at that point, when you feel like it's really not working, it's not working with the dogs that I have, it's not working with us, it's not working with my kids, um, my kids are, are feeling like we need to go to DEFCOM 5 because this dog's come into the room, it's better to make arrangements to rehome sooner rather than later if it really gets to that point because it's not fair to you or the dog. And the longer the situation escalates into something that's not workable, the worse the behaviors we're learning. Right. Well, and like Wilt Chamberlain, everything is habit forming. Be careful what you practice. Right. 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 So, so this dog is almost two. Still young enough to be amenable to change and to be adaptable. He's still a adolescent, but enough of an adult that I get glimmers of the dog he will become. Right. So I still have influence. But I also am not dealing with vaccines every two weeks, house training. Like, he's going to show me who he's going to be, right? right? If he was going to have a major separation anxiety issue, we would know by now. If he was going to have major resource guarding, we would already have hints of that. If he was going to be reactive with other dogs, we would likely have hints of that already. If he didn't like strangers... We would know that already. So the sweet family that I talked to yesterday, and I was heartbroken to say to them, like, I I would rehome one of the dogs, was if you have a dog-shaped hole in your heart, go get a dog that is behaviorally what that stabilizing dog was as an adult. Then transition that dog into the home that stabilizes the dog you have, or at least there's a greater chance of it. And for goodness sake, foster to adopt if you can. Like have a plan of what we're going to do if this isn't a great fit. So I I do want to give a shout out that we had someone who listens to the podcast reach out for support. It was great to meet you and to, I'm not going to use her name because I didn't ask permission. Just so you all know, we got an email, a message through the Facebook page. Hey, I have some questions. Julie and I both jumped on um, being available and ready and trying to to meet up with this person and chat with her. She and her family are lovely. I'm so honored that they gave us a call um, to get some support. Uh, and we gave them some directions in which to, to go. So um, part of that referral was to Milena and her group. So they're facing some big decisions in their household and things that are unenviable. And so I wanted to give them options for if you're going to do this, this is how I would proceed. And if you're going to do that, that's how you could proceed. And then 
we'll follow up and, and make sure they're doing okay. But a shout out, you know who you are and we think you're smart and pretty. And we were honored that you, you reached out to help. Julie ended up getting sick. So she was unable to schedule with you. So that's why you got stuck with boring old me. No, actually you were really lucky to get Tina rather than Julie because Tina has forgotten more about dog training than Julie will ever learn. I just forget my name. One last thing as we're in summer. So Julie, is this going to hit before July 4th, I'm assuming? Um, Let me think. We've got, we just, yes, it should hit the end of June. So we should probably talk just a little bit about the 4th of July. All of you, we love you. We think you're smart and pretty. You need a plan. You need to start working that plan now. The plan might be that you need to get meds for your dog because your dog has a severe response. It might be you need to drive your dog up into the mountains where no one has fireworks and just drive around until fireworks die down. Find out when your local community fireworks are going to happen so that you know when to be home and how to prepare your dogs. Please do not take your dog, no matter how smart and pretty and awesome, to a fireworks display. It ends up going really, really badly. Practice your plan ahead of time. If you're going to condition it, which is what we'll be doing here at Casa de Taunton, we will be stuffing and freezing Kongs and playing the sounds of different fireworks files, quiet and then slowly louder as we transition toward Independence Weekend, because we know fireworks are going to happen. I don't want my dogs freaked out by it. Right. Those are very, very good suggestions. So now is the time. Fireworks happen twice a year. We can have a big whole, whole argument about should they take the boom out? Like that. that is a discussion for another day. I would love to have that discussion. What I will tell you is I have to work with the world we live in where doorbells are going to happen, thunderstorms are going to happen, and fireworks are going to happen. So we've got to prepare our dogs. It's also important that you understand what your dog's reaction is and make sure that your dog doesn't escape. There are more dogs that are lost over the 4th of July weekend because they panic and they run from the fireworks than any other weekend in the year. So this is not an insignificant thing. Shelters get inundated with dogs who have panicked and run. So make sure that your dog is safe and happy and secure. Yeah. And, and that can mean that you and your buddy go for a ride in the car and go hang out somewhere in the middle of nowhere where there's not fireworks. That is a perfectly reasonable answer. Right. Right. So there's lots of flexibility. One of the things that we do is we have a room that is small and there's just one window and we can block that off and we go in there and we have through a dog's ear music playing loudly and we have Kongs and we, I am, anyway, there's all kinds of things that you can do depending on the severity of your dog's anxiety over fireworks, but don't take for granted that your dog's going to be okay. Right. Just because they were okay last year doesn't mean they'll be okay this year. So that's the tough thing. So Start your conditioning now so that if there's a flag on the play and your dog is really, really struggling, you can get help before you have a really bad experience that's difficult to recover from. All right. And with that, thank you very much, all of you, for listening to Your Family Dog. We are so grateful to have the audience that we have and that all of you have stayed with us through the years. 
And please stay tuned through the summer. You'll get a lot of good episodes reinvented, so to speak, again, with new episodes uh, in September. So thanks so much. And all of you have a great and wonderful and safe and fun summer. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.